jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep, talk, deep, deep sounds. sounds. I've got so much work to do. This, this is, is Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net. This is Heather Stewart, and I'm a TV writer. A TV writer is somebody who collaborates and even potentially creates a TV show from a concept. And a creator can hire a writing team to help bring that concept to life through script writing. I always wanted to be involved in what happens in Hollywood from a really early age. I wanted to be an actress for a long time and initially moved to New York City in order to pursue that. But at some point I fell in love with writing and after several screenwriting classes, I decided to pursue television writing. There's a lot of ways that one can pursue it. You can get a degree in it. There are colleges that offer that. There are also internships and apprenticeships and different avenues into the profession. You don't need a college degree in TV writing in order to become hireable. You just have to really want to do it and be pretty good at it in order to get a job. It's harder when you're just starting out as a writer. You kind of have to say yes to things and learn your way through. I think one of the things that really drew me to this work was that you learn on the job. I really appreciate professions like that. I studied here quite a bit and honed my craft and then went to LA. I went to LA actually because I was given a job. I got the job through submitting a script to a show and then I was called in for an interview and then eventually hired into the writer's room. It did happen fairly easily for me, but it is the process. And like I was saying about the education portion of it, there's a lot of different avenues into the world. And sometimes, you know, you get lucky, you know somebody in the business who's willing to look at your script and perhaps even submit it to a show creator or to a showrunner. And uh, other times you find out about an opening somewhere or a new show that's assembling a writer's room and you're able to submit a script at that point and get an interview. So when I was first hired, the structure was a little bit different than what it is now. There are different ways to assemble a room. Generally, there's like an executive producer, a head writer, a showrunner. Sometimes that can be all one person, or a show creator is also another title somebody may have. So it depends on the show itself and also how many people will be in the writer's room. There are shows that have quite a few different writers who are in the room and some that will have a smaller staff. So generally the format of the room, you know, will be the, the showrunner or the creator or the head writer who is again oftentimes the executive producer they will be in charge of the room and in charge of hiring the staff of writers. 
And then in some rooms, you know, within that staff, there can be staff writers, there can be story editors, there can be writer's assistants. So again, it depends on the show itself and the needs of the show. I will say that working for uh, two different networks that are actually somewhat the same thing, but one was more of a specialized like boutique shows, it was two very different experiences of writer's rooms because one had more of a hierarchy to it when I worked for network television and the other was just more relaxed, more collaborative. Everybody was pulling the same weight in the room. A network television show, there's always a show in pre-production, there's an episode in production, and then there's an episode in post-production at the same time. And so because you're producing so many episodes of television for the season, you are almost like holding on to the back of a runaway train. So it's much more scheduled out and your time is metered out in a different way. In some shows, the producer or creator or showrunner will want the writer to be on set when the episode is shooting. In others, there's not time for that, especially if a show is shot somewhere other than where it's written and you are producing many episodes. You may not be able to second a writer to the set for the day or for the week. The hours are really long. And again, the person who is the head of the writer's room will really set the schedule and set the stage. So a lot of it depends on their personality and their style and their manners and also their habits, their daily, you know, their, their daily needs will often be incorporated into how the room ends up being scheduled. So, you know, if you have a head writer or a showrunner who is a parent, that may look different than someone who's not. They may want to get home and tuck their kids in every night. So you might have a more scheduled day where you guys are out of the room by, you know, six or seven o'clock. But it's a lot of hours. And in my experience, it's, it's your only focus while you're writing on a show. It's all you're doing. You're with like this sort of family that is, it sort of has to be your family because you're spending so many hours together. But it's a family that <laughs> has to find a way to make the day work. So you're subject to whatever's going on in people's lives. And sometimes, you know, you come in, I mean, again, like some writer's rooms are more structured and others are just a little bit freer, a little bit more loose. So in one case, you know, you might walk in and you can sit down, you can eat breakfast, you can talk with one another. Sometimes you don't even get to work until the afternoon because there's a lot of like lead up in the morning to like what needs to be done and then it's time for lunch. And so you sit around, you all order lunch together. And then once lunch is over, then you're ready to work. And you maybe have like four or five really good hours in the afternoon of writing where you're really actually writing. You know, there's so many forms of collaboration that, you know, it's only as great as the group that you're in, you know, like how far you want to go when you're writing, like how much attention to detail or how much time you want to spend on any one thing. You could spend days on just one little detail. I always remember the Breaking Bad writer's room talking about how they like debated for days 
over whether Jesse would have a queen size or king size bed <laughs> in his apartment. Like they really like they really thought about it. You know, they thought about the implications of it. <laughs> and then how they were going to like, you know, how is that going to play out? Were they making a decision that was going to like have some effect <laughs> on the show in some way? So that type of thing, you can go into the weeds also very quickly and that can take up more time, you know, so again like if, if it's a more structured room you know there, there may be some working in the morning too that will happen and you know like I was saying before sometimes you're given a script you didn't really have a writer's room you know you're essentially given the script with the concept you go write it on your own and then you know bring it back for editing but I really like the aspect of being in a room with other people I prefer dramatic series I think it's because I like psychology so much and I like to get inside the heads of people and understand why they do what they're doing, which I think is better told through dramatic television. I've written comedy scripts. I've never been part of a produced show that was a comedy. And I've written animated scripts as well, which had quite a bit of comedy in them. It's not exactly a different kind of writing, but there are different things you're thinking about. When you're writing a comedy series, you're really writing about the visual representation of something comedic or something that would strike people as interesting or curious or humorous. So you're composing the script in a different way than when you're writing a dramatic series. Dramatic TV, even dramatic you know, films, they are more like puzzles where you're putting pieces in and making sure everything fits. Whereas a comedy is more about perhaps the puzzle pieces themselves and you're really looking to see how they're designed and how they have to sort of stand on their own and be a part of a larger picture but a dramatic series is really about putting an entire puzzle together that actually makes sense I think for for most writers no matter what you're writing I think your inspiration comes from everything that you surround yourself with there is a good deal of time that I put into watching iconic cinema and TV shows, also live television from the past, just these pieces that still are a part of our consciousness as a society. I'm very interested in how to keep some of those experiences of watching them alive again. And, you know, sometimes it would be an image from something like, for example, like Poltergeist is one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And I always think of the image of Joe Beth Williams turning around in her kitchen and all the chairs are on top of the table. That image to me is so profound. And I, I think about it when I'm writing a lot because I think how can that moment when she turns around and the camera shows what she's looking at, it's so arresting. You know, so something like that, like that's a part of my psyche. And that particular image, you know, might be something like I'll think about when I'm writing something. Like I want to create a moment in, in something that I'm writing that has that effect. So there are things that have been imprinted on me as a human. And I think it's because I love movies so much. And I always did, even as a really small child. My dad took me to see Alien when I was seven which was a mistake in hindsight, he realized. But at the time, you know, it was <laughs> made a strong impression on me. And it was something that, you know, I, I understood that 
I was detached from the movie enough. I had to be in order to sort of survive the experience as a seven-year-old and watching this like very scary movie. But I, I detached from it enough to be able to appreciate it, you know, without it hopefully giving me nightmares later. But I, that was a formative experience in my life. And then I started to pursue things, you know, even from age 10 on, I was watching things that maybe your average 10, 11 or 12 year old wouldn't watch. But I wanted to see how powerful images could be in that medium. I wanted to really understand it. And I wanted to understand the connection between what is written on a page and then what a director does with that. I think that there are a good deal of visual thinkers that are in this field. And I also think that there could be any number of ways that people are approaching it. There's a real craft to screenwriting and you, have, you do have to learn it, not necessarily through going to school or reading books, but you know, you could study some of like the best scripts of all time and you really study them and really watch the film or show that they're connected to, to understand like how the script is speaking within the actual visualization of the show or movie. It's sort of hard to describe. I think that you need to be able to think about how something will be visualized ultimately, which is why I think being a visual writer is at least helpful at, that I've found. But I, I know that there are people who are not visual, who are very, very good screenwriters. The wider you cast your net in terms of you know things you're inspired by or, or ways that you can look through a different lens to look at something like screenwriting, the larger array of references you have. I loved television growing up. I was a night owl and my parents didn't know what to do with me because they wanted to go to sleep around like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I was still up sometimes till 12 or 1 a.m. And they finally got me a TV and put it in my room because they just wanted me to go do something else and not bother them. So I watched a lot of television. I mean, I watched like Hawaii Five-0 and, you know, these shows were a part of my childhood. Uh, whatever was on like late at night on our local television station. So that is, I'm sure, a part of who I am. You know, some fabric of my being has to do with those shows. Charlie's Angels was another one I loved. I love like the Love Boat and Fantasy Island. Any Aaron Spelling show, I would just literally like count the days till it was going to be on again. I remember it was on on Saturday nights and that was usually like the night my parents went out. So I had a babysitter. I mean, it was just like, you know, an embarrassment of riches that night. I would just sit and watch like three hours of television. You know, I wouldn't move. I wouldn't get bored or distracted. I would just sit glued to the TV. It's funny, all three of those shows like had a lot of very strong fantasy element, which is something that I think that TV has that makes it unique. And I, I think films have it too, but there's sort of a wish fulfillment, you know, and I'm always thinking about that when I'm writing, like what's the wish fulfillment of the concept of this? You know, are people gonna watch this? There's some part of them that will be, some wish of theirs will be fulfilled. Cause I think those are the shows that we ultimately key into. Well, I think the 80s did that very well with a show like The Love Boat or Fantasy Island and even to some degree Charlie's Angels because there was no show about three detective women, you know, who were all like gorgeous and, you know, well-dressed and, you know, really cool. So there was a lot of wish fulfillment uh, in that in that decade, which was like a lot of my formidable years. It's interesting because this day and age, this job has changed even from when I first began. And not to say that there aren't things, you know, that you're not as proud of or that you're not as jazzed about because sometimes it's a job and it's a paycheck and that's that's the key. 
other times, though, I find that, you know, a lot of things that people are pursuing now as writers are more desire based things that people really want to be a part of. It could be a show that's, you know, been on for a few seasons or a show that's just starting, but it's with a creator that you really like their work. So you're much more likely, in my opinion, to get linked with something now that is really meaningful that you can be proud of. And so the profession has changed a little bit because there's more allowance now for just your own character, your own personality to be imbued. You know, the show can be imbued by it in a different way. And that does create more pride, I think, ultimately, because you feel like you're really a part of something and that you've really had a lot to do with the architecture of it. You know, there's a show that my writing partner and I have been trying to sell for a long time. I am still extremely proud of it. It's probably the best thing that I've written. It has an incredible concept. And it's interesting because we wrote it years ago. And, you know, it got in front of a lot of different people, most who were really into the script and the show, but were very concerned about the style because it's an anthology. They are a very hard sell in terms of money and networks and producing them. And so it's been challenging to sell it up until now. But it is the thing I'm the most proud of. It's called The Fan. And it's the first season is about a rock concert at Webster Hall. And every episode is told from a different person's perspective who's there. The show is about people's perception. But it's ultimately about how fandom brings people together. We sort of beat it out the first five seasons, but that each season would be about a different kind of fandom. You know, the second one we we're going to do about people who uh, show dogs at the, you know, American Kennel Club. We had an interesting concept that could go a lot of different places. And that was something I was very proud of as well, because I thought it was really at the time very original. And I still haven't seen a show like it, even though we wrote it about seven years ago. Well, this was before True Detective. This was before lots of other shows now have since come out that are anthologies. And I think somehow we like saw a little bit into the future and saw that like there was going to be this surge again or that there was this going to be this need in our society to have these anthologies out there again. I think why it's now more popular is because people are more interested in what other people are doing in their lives. Like people, there's shows about all kinds of things. Whereas like I wrote on a hospital show, basically, I know how popular those are. There's like, you know, hospital shows, lawyer shows, cop shows. But now there's shows about all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. And people are actually interested in seeing stories. I mean, I think the internet has a big thing to do with it too, that, you know, we are curious about what everyone's life is like, no matter what job that they're doing. You know, that there's drama in every life. There's no doubt about that. And so... The fan is about that because each of the characters has a completely different life, but they all come to the same spot to enjoy this concert with their favorite band. So there's like this sort of community aspect to it, this oneness, like they're all there as one. And the beginning of each episode starts with them like about an hour before the concert. So it shows what they're doing before, you know, exactly what's happening before that. But at the end of the show, they go back home to their lives. I still think it's brilliant, and I really, really hope that it'll sell at some point. If you create the show, you essentially own it. There are ways to have the show be your property, in a sense. And it's something that you own, you know, in which you could draw a paycheck from it, you know, in lots of different ways. 
So like the fan like that belongs to my partner and I. That's our show. You know, and what we do with it is up to us. But ultimately, it's our intellectual property. The career can be very lucrative. You know, you're part of a union. So you're part of the Writers Guild, which is very helpful, like in negotiating contracts. It does depend a lot about, you know, your experience, sort of where you are in your career, the negotiations. You know, there's like very standard writing contracts. And then, you know, there's ones that are more tailored for the writer. It could be different for every single person in the room. It's kind of like acting. I mean, there, there are set pay scales based on like different positions in the writer's room. And that's sometimes a jumping off point. Usually when you sign something, you don't know how successful the show is going to be until it is. So sometimes you go back in and you negotiate the contract later on down the line. You renegotiate it knowing that the show has been wildly successful and that the writers deserve more money probably because of that. Where residuals would be a part of it depends on if it's going to get acquired by a streaming network or, you know, an offshoot network of the network you're working for. So that can look a lot of different ways, too. Ultimately, you try to negotiate all of these things up front the best that you can. That's better. And build in sort of clauses for the success of a show to the best that you can. Oftentimes, people will go to an agent or a manager with an offer. So then your agent or manager will come to you. It's necessary for the job. Agent or manager. Somebody overseeing, you know, the negotiations. You don't really want to have to negotiate things yourself. It takes time, but, you know, usually with some luck and keeping your eyes open, you can find somebody who's going to work with you, who wants your success, too. That's the best case scenario. I think there's more opportunity now than there ever has been. The way people watch TV is going to continue to change. You know, people used to watch TV one week at a time. Now it's really, really different. And shows are going to be written, I think, with that understanding more and more that people may be sitting down and watching your whole season in two days or three days. I think about that when I'm watching shows. I think about my own habits, and I think about how does this translate to, like, what the world is going to be doing with TV. You know, I hope people will still be using it as an escape, and we need it more than ever now. I think what's happening in the world around us informs a lot of what's on our TVs in scripted series. And so that will be interesting to see how what's happening around us in our world will shape the stories and also what sort of propels a TV show into popularity. You know, whether it's like the most shared title of something on a social media platform or, you know, people are writing articles about it or what's sort of capturing. I'm always fascinated about that. What's capturing the public? And I really try to think about why. Why is that happening right now? My dream job is to work for Pixar. And it's always been in the back of my mind of something that at some point in this life I will pursue with everything I have. I'm just a huge, huge fan of the writing and the way that they write. I just have this feeling deep inside that we're a good fit. The best show that I had was on FX. And it was the best writing experience in general that I had because we had a really, really good showrunner who knew a lot about television and a lot about people and the way people worked. And so we were able to create something that was really, really special. And we all knew that we were creating something special when we were making it. 
So we felt, you know, we felt sort of honored to be there and to be carrying out this story through our own eyes, our own hands. You've been listening to Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep Deep Talk, talk, Deep deep sounds. Sounds